0: That's a sensational catch, absolutely brilliant from Hooper. Was hit back firmly by Mialo, Hammered down the ground, it could fly all the way for a maximum. It's going to soar into the sky. That's the six they needed, that's 50 for Brush. What a knock that is from him! Outstanding striking, and that six brings Guernsey back into the game.
1: Could be a catch, what a catch! One handed grab, and that's Josh Butler, the captain. Oh my days, we have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Under the Covers, Guernsey Cricket's very own podcast. I'm Ben Furbrush, Guernsey Cricket Development Manager, and on this podcast we will be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and other cricketing keen beans along the way. In today's episode of Under the Covers, we have a man who has scored 7,727 test runs in 118 test matches and 5,416 runs in 161 One Day internationals as well as appearing in T20 internationals. Welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for coming on Ian Bell. No thank you. Born April the 11th in Walsgrave Coventry what does your early childhood look like and were you born into a sporting family?
0: Yeah I'd say yeah very sporting family in terms of um, sport lovers I wouldn't say uh, you know my granddad and my dad were just yeah they're obsessed with sport though it's football rugby cricket and um, you know everything so a lot of my early days would have been going up on a on a Saturday, and watching my dad play cricket. On a Sunday as well with my brother and we'll be on the side, either playing football, like I said, rugby or cricket uh, on the side. And that was my early sort of memories, I suppose, getting into sport. But, yeah, it was, um, you know, a bit of competitiveness with my younger brother. But also that fact that, yeah, it was just a sports-mad family, really. And um, um, cricket sort of, uh, I suppose, took over as number one, probably around the age of 10, you know, 10, 11 years of age. But, um, yeah, just just out there playing as much sport as possibly could, um, which was, um, yeah, it was, it was good memories, actually. So, yeah, I
1: noted down you went to Prince Thorpe College, was that a big cricketing school or did you play cricket before you attended this school?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have said it was an absolute massive cricket school. I think it was a great sports school. So, again, I'd be playing, um, would play cricket with them, obviously, again, rugby, football, every, every sport, again, it was, it, was, it was very much, we had a, I suppose, in life, you're quite lucky who you come, ac- uh, come across and Head of sport at the time was a guy called Gwillem Price, um, who, again, uh, recognised at a very early age, cricket was where I wanted to go. Um, the school were amazing. Again, they allowed me so much time away, training either with Warwickshire. So the older I got with England in the 19s and also on a Saturday when I got to 14, 15, realising that actually playing for the school what probably wasn't doing me any favours, actually in playing Birmingham League cricket and allowing me to do that as well. So um, Gwilliam, um, who like I said, was head of head of sports, was perfect for me and recognize what I wanted to do and I think the school couldn't have been more helpful in many ways whether it's detriment to my actual schooling I'm not sure but um you know I remember going on my first uh, England in 19 tour at 16 so again I think probably GCSE year and I'd spent two months um of that winter in New Zealand playing cricket so um you know like I said I, again a lot of fond memories about the school um and like I said school uh, you know A good, good sporting school, but also we had some good challenges. So we'd have King Henry's in Coventry, Solihull School, Warwick School. So a lot of competitive schools, whether it was rugby, cricket, football
1: um, within the area. Right. Okay. And you were also part of Coventry City Football Club as well, weren't you? I mean, that must have been a real privilege and honour, but quite tough as a Villa fan, maybe? Uh,
0: Very tough as a Villa fan. I mean, again, growing up. um, So I grew up in a village called Dunchurch, just outside rugby. So, that sort of fell into the Coventry City, um, I suppose, scouting area. And so when I was playing football, you know, I got picked up there. Um, and I, I think at that age, even between, you know, I finished with them around 15. But I think I knew at that point cricket was what I wanted to do. I, I enjoyed and loved my football, but really it was more my fitness and getting on it where cricket was my real love. Um, but as a, as a family full of Coventry fans and the only Villa fan, um, yeah, it was... Um, It was tough to to put on that shirt every uh, every time I went out and played a game. But um, away with it now. Don't have to see too much of that.
1: Yeah, and obviously at that time, Coventry were very much Premier League side, flying high, as were Villa. Uh, Villa have dropped down in the meantime and come back up. And now Coventry is sort of doing the same.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of rivalries then. Obviously, at Boxing Day, whether it was going to Villa Park with my family again to watch, and a lot of the time it would have been Coventry versus Villa on Boxing Day. So, either whether it was at Highfield Road or at Villa Park, you know that was pretty much our Boxing Day growing up. So, um, yeah, a lot of lot of good memories um, about that rivalry. Again, it's not probably what it was obviously with where the clubs have have, have gone, um, but it's good actually to see them uh, back in the Championship now, actually doing relatively well. A lot of politics going on behind the scenes there. But um, yeah, it would be great one day to see them back in the Premier League and a Villa Coventry game would be good to go to again.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. It would be great to see another derby in the Premiership. Um, so along with football, you obviously trained with Warwickshire County Cricket Club uh, within age group system. Was this a case of district training or was it just one squad? Um,
0: yeah, well, I think we were very lucky. I think, again, Warwickshire at the time, um, we had a good setup. Actually, a Very good. Um, you know, obviously we had know a a winter training squad that you got selected for you had to go to trials and then obviously for the summer you'd still have to trial to get into the warwickshire schools 11 um but there was a guy called Neil labley who basically ran the whole program from under 11s and 10 year olds to all the way to pretty much um getting people into the into the first team so he'd be the second team coach as well so it's quite rare to have that now that someone would be that so involved um but for me he was great because he became a mentor of mine so from meeting him at 10 years of age to playing for England. He was always the guy I went back to to train um, to work with on my game and the basics really. Even um, you know when I was into my mid to late twenties. But yeah, he he ran it unbelievably well. Um, and like I said, I think we were quite lucky that uh, even now Warwick's just changed a little bit and most places with academies and stuff like that. But he he was a little bit ahead of his time really. We we that's how it was run really. I think we'd do our age group sessions during the week. Um, what he would then try and do would be probably to take uh, a number of, probably from the under-11s to under-14s, bring them in every other Sunday as well. The ones that he felt were maybe just at the top of their group. So it was nearly a little mini academy yeah. um, before they were, probably existed. And then he'd do the same from 15s to 19s and just go through a little bit more in detail. Um, but yeah, very lucky. We had uh, three very good coaches, again, that worked endlessly from top to bottom. So I said Neil Abley, uh, who ran the show. Um, and then we had a guy called Steve Perryman who did the bowling and Steve Rouse. Uh, again, all, all completely different characters actually, but they worked really well together. Um, and they pretty much, again, for a long time, the likes of Chris Wokes, myself, Jim Troughton, a, a number of players who have come through that age group at that period of time with those coaches went on and played uh, or had a very good career for, for Warwickshire. But as I said, now things have changed a little bit with that structure. Uh, We're more with academies and things like that at Warwickshire. But I think, looking back, I feel like quite lucky and it was a very organised setup. you know, tough as well, but um, yeah, it, it was a good setup actually that we, we, we went into. Yeah. And then was all that training out of
1: Edgbaston as well?
0: Uh, all out of Edgbaston. Yeah. I mean, it's changed a little bit over time. Obviously it was the old indoor school, which was a little a bit colder than the, the modern new one. There is there now, but um, yeah, it was all out of Edgbaston. And again, um, I was lucky again, that I, my, my club Coventry North Warwick was the Birmingham league, uh, Birmingham Premier League club as well. So we had a really good setup there. Um, and I think you've got to have, and we were lucky, we had good coaches again and a very good youth set up there. A lot of guys then went through that. Some went on and played for Warwickshire. Some, you know, went and played brilliant um, Birmingham League Premier cricket. But, yeah. you know, I think, again, you, you, you need good coaches that are enthusiastic about to young players um, and how they, you know, they, they coach the game and how they interact with those young players is so important. But I feel very lucky actually looking back that actually, you know, that, that club was brilliant for me. And obviously the people I met at Warwickshire at a very, very early age, you know, really helped me through my career. Yes,
1: yeah, so he's touched on it before in 1998. You had a really breakthrough year. You scored 91-115 for the England and the 19s in a tour of New Zealand. How did you feel ahead of this tour? Because I think you'd have just been 16. Um, did you feel sort of nervous, but obviously such an honour to represent England?
0: Um, yeah, it was. And I think I remember watching, again, we sort of grew up, um, you know, again, I, I, I went through a lot of the England school set up from 14s and 15s. Um, and I, I remember England in the 19s winning the World Cup the year before. So the likes of O A. Shah, Graham Swan, uh, all that age group. So, again, like for us who were in the probably his 14s and 15s at the time, you're watching these lads. And then quite quickly, all of a sudden I was thrown into the 19s, um, which, was, which was, again, was great. It was challenging um, at the time. And we had, I think, Mike Gatting uh, as manager. And again, as a 16 year old, you've got an ex England captain who's on there as well. So that becomes a little bit more daunting. Um, but again, just a great experience. I think I look back on that. Obviously, we're very really fond memories. Still, a lot of the guys that were on that tour are, are umpires or coaches now. And, uh, and a lot of the players that I played with around my own age group, obviously, uh, either just finishing in the game or have had good careers. But um, one of the things I remember was uh, Dale Hadley, who was head coach of New Zealand. Uh, it came out with quite a big statement to sort of say that it is the best 16 year old he's seen. Um, and again, that travelled quite decent. Or got, got a bit of It got a little bit of uh, traction back at home, which I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. But it obviously put me out there quite early on the map that I was somebody to watch out for. I think with that added a little bit of pressure of expectation of what I was going to deliver uh, through my career. Um, but I didn't, at the time, you didn't really feel that way. But I look back and, you know, it was
1: quite a big statement early on in, in my teenage years, really. So you said there that you took time out from your GCSEs. Did you go back and finish your GCSEs after that tour? Um, I noticed that you were sort of in and out of the Warwickshire set up there, first team, second team. You know, was it just cricket there on in?
0: Yeah, we. Yeah, I, I did. I finished off my, my GCSEs, uh, stayed on to start my A-levels, um, but then it was a bit of a, a strange one. So, um Kadir Ali, actually, uh, sorry, Kabir Ali, uh, who was a year above me, uh, actually just moved in the winter to go and play for Worcester. Uh, and I think Warwickshire got a little bit panicky. I, obviously, Warwickshire would have definitely offered him a contract. But I think uh, for opportunity, Worcester were going to guarantee or certainly close to guaranteeing playing Um, playing cricket at 17, 18 years of age. And so I think Warrisley got a bit panicky then. And then I got offered a contract, a full-time contract at literally 16, 17 years of age. So, and obviously made my debut and coming out of school, I remember leaving Prince Thorpe and going and making my debut that year. And and I think then I realised into the first year of my A-levels that whether it was the right decision or wrong decision, I wouldn't necessarily advise that, but I sort of probably went all in you're going to be a professional cricketer rather than having a backup plan, which would have been interesting if it hadn't have worked out. Might have put myself in a bit of trouble. But I think, um, you know, I, I that's all I wanted to do. My parents knew that and sort of went all in. And like I said, from that, that point, I was training regularly. I, I mean, I, I became a regular first-team Warwickshire player at 19. So it took me a while, took me a year or two to really establish myself. Like I said, I had to go away and score a lot of Warwickshire second-team runs. But also... Um, what I try and encourage a lot of the young lads now is that the Birmingham League cricket is so important to your development as well, because soon as soon as, you know, you become on, you're on the staff as a professional, you're seen a bit differently when you're a young player, the expectation isn't really necessarily there to score runs. But as soon as you sign as a professional, whether you're 17, 18, 19, it doesn't matter. You know, that club is still looking at you to win that game or produce the goods on a Saturday, which I think is a nice pressure to put young players through because, maybe when they come into the first team or the second team, that that's the expectation for them isn't there. It's more about development. But I think that for them to understand, or when you're a young player, to how am I going to affect or win this game of cricket on a Saturday, I think is really important. So there was a bit of that development over that year and a half or two, Um, like I said, um, with that and, and scoring big, big runs in the second team. Because again, I remember, I mean, I wouldn't say the depth at Warwickshire at the moment is as much as it probably was when I first joined the staff. But I remember... Um, you know, we had guys called, um, a lad called Anna Rae Singh, Mark War, Michael Powell, all probably early to mid twenties, but all of them fighting to get in the first team. And it literally would take them, you know, I remember Powell ch- churning out a double hundred, a hundred and a hundred, just to even get a chance of being, to get into the first team. And that, that level of performance, you weren't going to get in unless you, you did it that way. Um, it's probably not quite to that level at this moment in time in depth, but that's sort of how I remember getting grown up. That if you want to play in the first team, you've got to score hundreds, and you know that's sort of the path. I, you know, like I said, not being, um, but you've got to be ruthless when I when you get a start because the amount of times you fail is quite high.
1: So yeah, two thousand and one was really the year where everything fell into place for you. Uh, you scored eight hundred and thirty six runs in sixteen innings, including three centuries and two scores of ninety eight in the county championship for Warwickshire. Also, in the same year, you became the county's youngest ever centurion at nineteen years and fifty six days old. Uh, what did you put this down to? Was it hard work or did everything sort of just click in the right time?
0: Um, yeah, a bit of both. I think um, I remember the, the year before. I'm uh, oh, no, sorry, it wasn't the year before, but I, I think so. I think it was just getting comfortable with that, um, you know, getting in the first team. Again, I was very lucky. You know, we had Bob Warmer come in again. And I think, like I said, I, I mean, I was neoliberally... Uh, as a coach, was somebody that I went back to, to do all my technical work, keep the basics really good. He, he knew me for such a long period of time through my development that he, he sort of, he was my go-to man, just to, like I said, any technical areas. But when Bob Warmer came, I think he, he was somebody again, he'd already coached South Africa. He'd coached in Cape town as well, first class cricket and obviously played for England. But what, what one of Bob's best strengths was, was, um, is nearly your game management and understanding how to play the game. And I think uh, as a coach for me, like, Bob was just, he just added a bit more of that to my game, not just technique, but understanding how to play the game and how to have a plan against certain types of bowling on different conditions. And that clicked into gear really. I had a good relationship with him. Um, and it was just nice to go out and produce the goods. As I said, I think that at the time, again, the, the Warwickshire did a good thing. They obviously recognised me. They sandwiched me in between senior players, no expectation. But again, I knew that if you want to stay in the team, because there was so much batting on the staff, um, you had to score runs to stay in, which... Um, Again, was a, it was a great breakthrough year. But again, with a lot of players, my next year was a little bit tougher. I played actually quite well in white ball cricket and one day cricket then, but struggled a bit in the championship because, again, people see you start figuring out a few plans. So then it's up to you to start, OK,
1: figuring out where your strengths and weaknesses are and what you need to improve to go forward. Yeah, then that winter you got selected on the then ECB National Academy in Australia. What did this programme consist of? Was it a case of going to play club cricket whilst you were out there and also representing England in the National Academy? No, not
0: really. I think the the first year we went away again with, with Rod Marsh, um, who was good. I mean, again, Rod was was a hard, hard coach. Really, it, you know, he did a lot of physical work, a lot of work around playing the short ball. But it was it was tough. I mean, again, he was trying to sift out, I suppose, who to play Test cricket. Re- resilience and that mentality. You're going to have to be tough. And you know, he was really, um, you know, that was a lot what the academy was about, really. But we, we went to. I remember us going. We went to Australia. Adelaide uh, to use the Australian Academy while the one at Loughborough was being built, so I think that was part of that reason. But I think actually the one year I probably developed the most actually was outside of the ECB Academy um, or ECB setup really. I I'd had like I said I've broken into the Warwickshire team, things have gone well, stalled a little bit in four day cricket, changed a couple of things, which again I would never advise anyone changing anything. I stopped trying, I, I stopped going back and across, started to stand still in my, in the crease. Um, which then I figured out I had to go back to doing what's natural, which I've always done. But going to Australia and went to Perth, and John Loverity now was coach at Warwickshire, and he just basically said, right, there's the club you're playing for. Here's the number of the chairman. Ring him, sort your flights out, go over. And that was pretty much what I had. Um, and I had six months over there. One, I played for, well, University of, uh, of WA, which was great. We had a play on a good wicket. Some really good lads, similar age, so we had, had a great time. Worked extremely hard. Worked with some guys out there again because it was out of the, I suppose, Warwickshire setup and ECB setup. It was nearly people were judging you with a fresh set of eyes, and they didn't really care where you, you know, what you'd done in the past and stuff like that. So it was a real nice experience for me. Uh, but playing great cricket was tough, and you, you know, as an Englishman, when you're there, especially as a young lad, you know, you've got to you've got to fight for everything. And I think for me, I came back a much much better player, and maybe a lot of that was to do with everything you know being you know not relying on people to tell you where to be at what time or you know doing your own cucking doing your own washing all that stuff where you have to grow up not just in your cricket but in your whole lifestyle and generally the most self-sufficient people on and off the field are generally gone and become the best cricketers really um so i think it was a whole big life lesson but also my batting really went to another level while i was out there i just really grooved a lot of um, good things, scored good runs, met a guy called Noddy Holder, who was Justin Langer's batting coach, Mike Hussey's batting coach. And a lot of the, even though he wasn't attached to uh, Western Australia, he was pretty much the go-to guy and he was our batting coach at university. So I was very lucky. I worked with him at training sessions on Monday and Thursday. And then I went and saw him on my own for an hour uh, or two on Monday Wednesday. So I was hitting balls every day. Uh, And he was a brilliant, brilliant coach that I worked with. Um, Saw things a little bit differently than maybe other coaches that I've worked with. Um, But it was just a breath of fresh air for me and actually just got me in a place. But the best thing about it, I think, was that I came back uh, into the county season just in a great place, in good
1: form. You know, so much cricket under my belt and I hit the ground running, really. Yeah. And then following that trip, as soon as you arrived back in England, the day after you actually landed, you're called up into the England Test Squad. Uh, did you know that was going to happen before you left Australia or was it a complete shock as soon as you arrived? It was a bit of a shock to be honest, especially when I was, we were about to fly back from Australia. It would have been nicest to fly straight
0: to New Zealand rather than uh, fly all the way home for a day and then fly back to New Zealand. But um, yeah, I mean, again, I was 19 when that one happened. You know, I'd hardly played any, any first-class cricket at all. Um, reality was probably I wasn't going to play much. Maybe, I, you know, again, I probably, you know, stood out on the academy again and England and Duncan Fletcher probably wanted to have a bit of a closer look at me around the set setup around training and have a good look um like I said the reality of going there for two test matches that I wasn't going to play but um it was great and again all of a sudden you're thrown in as a 19 year old with all your heroes so your Graham Thorpe was there and Alex Stewart and you know all these guys Atherton and the Sane and so it's um you know yeah it was um yeah, it was an interesting period, that, like I said, as a 19 year old, when you're out there on tour, all of a sudden with an England side. So,
1: 2004 saw you make your England Test debut versus the West Indies, batting at five and scoring 70 of 130 balls. What are your memories in the lead up to this game and also of the day of the game?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I couldn't have been in better form. I think, obviously, Warwickshire for a start, we went on and won the championship that year. I think I'd scored five, five hundreds in that, um, maybe, I think, a couple of double hundreds. Um, so, I was in the form of my life at that period of time. So when you want to make your test debut, you want to be in that kind of place. So I feel quite lucky. Also, England, I think, had won every test match that summer. So again, um, ideally, what you want to be going into is quite a comfortable, happy, winning environment, which again, that's what it was. So there was no pressure on me to, again, to step out and perform. Um, but it was just nice to get out and do that. I mean, that's what you've worked so hard and all the sacrifices you make along the way, um, the extra training sessions, you know, the hard physical sessions, uh, as I said, a lot of the sacrifices you make. Uh, all of a sudden, you're out on the field, and you've you've got to where you want to get to. Um, so I think um, you know that that was it. Just some fond fond memories. It was tough. I remember being on naught for a long time. Got hit on the shoulder from Fidel Edwards. who bowled a quick spell, but yeah, nice to nice to go on and get a score, uh, and obviously win that Test match as well. W- was a, was a great memory. Um, you know, I, I think the Oval from then on has always been a favourite place to go and play. Play test match cricket. Um, but yeah, it was just, I suppose, a dream come true at that, that period. But I think, again, a little bit of luck
1: when it came down to just being at the right place in form and walking into a very successful side. Were you also more comfortable in the middle order than you were at the top of the order? Or did you not really mind where you batted?
0: No, not really. I mean, again, I always saw myself as a middle order player. I mean, again, with Warwickshire, and obviously I wanted to bat. I think that my advice to any player in domestic cricket is you want to be batting at three because, again, if you want to play for England, you can still bat four, five, six. Um, but it's very hard to go the other way around. If you're batting at five in county cricket to then get thrown in England batting at three, that's a, I'm not sure that's the right way around. I think that for me, you, know, you want to be in that top three in your county and then, then you can be adjustable to wherever you play for England. I think it's a bit of an easier way around to do that way.
1: Yeah, and then that winter you made your ODI debut. Uh, you scored 75 of 115, chasing down 197 for five versus Zimbabwe opening the batting this time and picking up player of the match along the way I mean that must have been amazing one thing that players always speak about is sort of that step up can you step up to the next level you seem to not struggle with that in both your test and ODI debuts how was that?
0: Yeah no it was nice obviously again like you look at it now and the way the game's gone I mean um, you know opening the
1: batting in white ball cricket is the
0: place to bat isn't it I think whether it's 50 over cricket or T20 um, you certainly want to get out there while the ball's hard and um, so yeah, I enjoyed that. It was it was a good tour. Um, again, I suppose for that one, you know, we played Zimbabwe, so um, they gave an opportunity to a few people. KP made his debut at the same time. Um, so yeah, it was um, yeah a, a good to like I said now start to get in and uh, and being in and around that England setup. And like in anything, you you what you realise is you want to you get there, you get a taste for that, and you get a taste for what it feels like, and you just want to stay there for as long as you can and have that longevity over a career, which I suppose is what people are judged on. You know, you don't just want to be a one-hit wonder. <coughs> you want to be able to get out
1: there and, like I said, produce the goods consistently over a period of time. So you touched on KP there. Obviously, he was an unbelievable talent, ridiculous shot-making ability. Was this something that England just hadn't seen before? And how was that?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Kev, obviously, I played a lot of, of cricket against and with Kev through my career. And actually, I remember playing, he played for Canuck. Uh, in the Birmingham League, actually, um, we were both would have been quite young. Um, even though he was a couple of years older than me, I think. I remember him turning over. He was an off-spinner um, who came in and, and slogged a few at the back end, bang, at six or seven or something for Canuck. And the change within three years uh, at Nottingham from this all-rounder who smashed it to this world-class batsman is the most incredible um, journey. And uh, as I said, I think for me, still the the best batsman I've ever played with uh, just for things that he, yeah, he, he did a lot of things that other people can't do. And I think that was just natural ability. Again, he's a big guy, amazing for a big guy, amazing footwork, great athlete, but yeah, just, just a freak of a player really he saw things a little bit different to everyone else. Um, but again, from without all that stuff, again, I mean, all the top players that I've played with, um, he worked extremely hard in his game. You know, I don't think, I think, yes, he had natural ability and, that's not always, you know, to that extreme, um, but he still worked unbelievably hard on his game in preparation, in practice. He might not have told everyone about it, but he, he extremely, you know, his work ethic was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and then following your test AB, you went on to be involved with the 2005 Ashes. Uh, I always remember the lead up to that, that series. It was yourself, Graham Thorpe and KP who were in the running for, for that final two spots. How was that and did it sort of add pressure on you or would it incentivise you to actually perform and get that slot?
0: I didn't really think about it at the time, to be honest with you. Again, it was just when you're young, I think you're just thinking about, you know, what's, what's ahead of you and like just just trying to play for England. I don't think if I hadn't got picked, it wouldn't have been like a massive disappointment if Graham Thorpe was playing ahead. I mean, again, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. Um, I've never had the conversation. I have spoken to Thorpe quite a bit since, but I've never actually asked him what, you know, was he thinking of retiring at that point? I don't know. Obviously, there were certain conversations going on in the background um, and where England had plans for, for him and then for myself and Kev. But yeah, I mean, again, it's quite a funny one because I think um, until you go through an Ashes series, you just don't know what that feels like. And I think whether I was naive, not quite ready, I mean, the, the difference between playing, and I'd only probably played three test matches before that, from playing a normal test match, even when the media is quite big and everything, but then stepping up to an uh, an Ashes series where the media goes through the roof and the expectation and the, the coverage is just massive. Um, it's a completely different ball game. So I think until you go through it, you don't quite know whether you're ready or not. And I look back, you know, and obviously lucky to play in seven Ashes series, but the, you know, I probably wasn't quite ready, um, not technically, but just for everything that gets thrown your way in an Ashes series. Um, but probably, in, in, in a way, learnt more than I ever had done uh, in my cricket and journey, because you, all of a sudden you're playing against the best players. Well, some of the best players that have ever played the game in Ponting and Warne, McGrath. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the side are, are heroes and legends of mine anyway. Um, so, yeah, it was an amazing series to be part of, uh, even though probably I didn't produce with the, the, the amount of runs that you need to as a top-order player for your country. Um, but the education side of it, you can't get that unless you're thrown into the middle of it. And I think it really helped me for the rest of my career going forward.
1: Yeah, obviously we'd be here for hours if we spoke about your entire England career. So I just wanted to touch on a few series, starting with the 2010-11 Ashes series in Australia. Uh, a solid series for yourself, scoring 350s and 100. Just how good was the trip? And also talk to me a little bit about the boot camp that started before the trip in Germany.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, um, again, I quite... I look back now, I mean, no one enjoyed that. The week we had in Germany, was it was uh, physically hard work. And I don't think Andy Flower quite knew um, exactly how hard it was going to be. But do you know what? It was. You look back and think, actually, I think you can do those things every now and then. I don't think you can do them every year and, and things like that. But at that time, that group, I think it was a good thing. One, we were a good cricket side. So I don't think a, 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 um, a boot camp will turn you into a great cricket side to win the Ashes. What I think it did was just, it brought us together. It made us realise, actually, even when it's really tough, you can get through this. And I think that was pretty the point of it as a group. And I think, yeah, I mean, I look back, I actually quite enjoyed it. And actually I would, I would do it again, even though it is physically is hard work, but actually, you know, I quite enjoy going through that kind of stuff physically and being challenged like that. So it was, um, I say it was good, but if the lads heard me say that they'd probably say, you're talking a load of rubbish. Um, it was hard work, but I look back and actually think actually there were some good memories on that. And I would do it again with those same group of lads. Um, and then I think, yeah, going into the, that Ashes, one, we were, um, I think, at the top of our game. I think at, across the board, you know, we had a world-class spinner. We had a seam attack, which, again, uh, as the series went on, as this India series has gone on, actually, you know, the, the people that were on the sidelines have played such a big importance yeah. to that series, whether it was Bresnan and Tremlett. Um, but, yeah, we were just in the right place at the right time as a group. I think when you tour Australia, mentally, you've got to be in a good place, Physically, you've got to be ready to go because um, they're going to throw everything at you. It's it's an amazing tour. It's a great tour to go on, um, but you realise very quickly when you get there whether you're on the golf course or whether you're walking through the city centre or whatever you're doing. You know the whole country are against you in this and the banter and everything. So you're in you're in a you're in a, um an amazing environment. So you have to be ready for that and actually be able to enjoy that. Um, and I think different tours that I went on, we were in different places as a group mentally. And that's why I think that that one, this one was just so different that everyone I said mentally was in a great place. Um, and the planning was great. Um, you know, I remember Straussi talking, saying, obviously I think we had um, <coughs> three or four warm up games. I think we played South Australia, uh, obviously WA and Perth. And then I think we went on to play um, uh, Australia A actually with Steve Smith. So they're, they're, they put out their best young players they could put out at the time. Um, And we absolutely smashed everyone, which again, for me on the previous tours was a very different feeling. Um, You know, I remember my first tour, we struggled against the state sides. And all of a sudden, mentally, you're thinking, wow, if I'm struggling against the state sides, how are we going to go and turn up at Brisbane for the test match? So mentally, I think we were in a great place again. And the the preparation could not have got any better. And I think if you speak to any players from that tour, they will say that tour preparation wise was you, you will not get any better preparation than that. Um, and everything seemed to go to plan. Um, as I said, we we absolutely smashed Australia A, um, and we didn't have at the time. I think they'd sent Jimmy, Brodie, uh, Finney, and Graham Swan. So the bowling attack that was going to start in Brisbane, they didn't play that game. So I think the whole feel that the squad uh, was in a good place um, was, a, was a good thing. Um, obviously, we had to ride our luck a little bit and and hang on in Brisbane, which, again it's a tough place to play cricket as we've seen with with, what India have just done, which is incredible. Um, But it's, it's an, it's, they like Australia, obviously have a great record there. Um, It's, it's a good pacey, bouncy pitch to start with. Um, It does challenge, challenge you in many ways, but we had to hang in and and you have to at times. But the the one thing I've learned over time is that Adelaide uh, MCG and Sydney they're winnable games for England. They're absolutely no yeah. doubt. The surface, the conditions, they, they are winnable. So if you can hang on and fight in, in the, and when you go to the Wacker or in, obviously the Optus Stadium now or in Brisbane, um, it puts a lot of pressure back onto Australia because they know that they're not as comfortable, I suppose, or the record that they have isn't as good as uh, those other venues.
1: Yeah. So I was actually fortunate myself to be in Australia for the series. I was doing a season in Sydney. And one thing that really struck on me was that whole bond the England team had, like you said. But also, something that was also quite prominent was the Australia press were were hounding Australia when things were going well. Uh, But also, at the same time, they were really bashing them when things were going badly. The the test in Brisbane, like you said, England were 500 for one. On day four, there was loads of Aussies in the stadium, so they thought they were actually going to bowl them out and win the test. On day five, there was nobody there. It was just the Barmy Army. Do you think this is something that actually helps teams or visiting teams over in Australia? Yeah, 100%.
0: I think the, the one thing, again, my experience of playing Australia is if they get on top or they're in front of the game, they are incredibly uh, good at that passage of play where they will not let you back in the game. You know, They can be quite ruthless like that, which is great. But what the reality is actually when they're under pressure, they're the same as everyone else and they fold sometimes quicker than others. We've seen that in this India series now. When the pressure was on them to win the Gabba, they couldn't do it. If they were ahead of that game, or the head ahead of that series 2-0, they probably would have gone on and won that comfortably. And I think that's the reality. There are times they're going to come throw everything at you to get ahead in the series. If you can hold fire or hold, hold as tight as you can, like I said, the pressure does mount back on them very quickly. And, and uh, again, yeah, like they were under more pressure... Um, from their own media. And again, when you do go there, you realise in Australia, a lot of the things are pointed at you and you're the, as an England side, the focus is on you. All of a sudden, if you can flip that back to Australia, the pressure ramps up particularly quickly on them. um, And they don't always respond brilliantly to that, um, as we saw in that series. So I thought that, you know, that was great. And we've seen that recently again with this, with this India series, but yeah, some of those moments were great. And whether it's the MCG, um, you know, on that, on day one, again, when we had probably the best day of the tour. You know, just English fans in there. Australian fans just didn't want to watch. So, yeah. every time you can, you can get rid of um quiet and down the stadiums. It's, uh, it's
1: amazing. Yeah. And then 2013 Ashes again, an amazing series as a team, but also on a personal note, must have been fantastic. You picked up the Compton Miller Medal for the player of the series, scoring 562 runs, including three centuries. Was this a case of just again that sort of right time, right place sort of thing you spoke about before? Where you just relaxed into batting and you didn't have to think about it.
0: I was certainly in a very good place. I mean, again, I think through your career, you like you said, you you sort of uh, you you go in and out of form and you go in and out of scoring big runs. And I I actually remember going into that series. I remember we played two Test matches against New Zealand. I don't think I'd scored many, Um, but I remember really clearly like we were at Loughborough because we were playing at Trent Bridge for the first Test match. Um, So one of our days prep was at Loughborough, um, and something just clicked. I remember being on the bowling machine. And whether it was rhythm or something, something just happened. And all of a sudden, whether I was a little bit late on a rhythm or a movement, this just, I got the timing started to, was just perfect. And I remember then leading into that um, match with just that kind of feeling that actually this this feels great. And I remember getting 25 first innings. I remember them bowling under lights. It, it moved around, but I played. I remember just feeling that was me at my top of my game. And then obviously scoring 100 second innings. And then that just that rhythm. And then it's just that holding on to... Um, that kind of form and that feeling. But yeah, there's times again through your career when you're just, you're so in the moment, you're just clear in your mind, not thinking about too much. You're just watching the ball. And that was certainly probably me at my, you know, my best, um, uh, you know, and, and to do it against Australia is so important. I think again, any anyone growing up, you know, you want to try and affect, you see what, you know, what Botham did and what Freddie did and then what Cookie managed to do in Australia. So you sort of want to, look back and go, actually, do you know what? I affected that series off my own bat and, you know, and to win Man of the Series for me was a dream come true. Um, I, I still think, again, winning in Australia was probably the best out of all the ones that I would look at and go, wow, that was that was still the best achievement because we know how hard it is to win in Australia. Um, but on a personal note, yeah, to score three Ashes series, uh, centuries in a series and, you know, was, uh, and they were tight, tight games actually. It wasn't just back dominated games it was actually quite nip and tuck all the way through um you know so to to have done that was um i look back you know with some
1: really good memories you're listening to under the covers guernsey's very own cricket podcast we'll be back after the short break him! beautiful bit of bowling from william peatfield the stump comes crashing out the ground and that's a big wicket here in guernsey versus denmark at the kg5 that's the first wicket Letizia is the one who strikes. He gives it a big celebration. He writes it up in a book.
0: He notes it down and sends them up. You can add Manpreet Singh to that list. That's the breakthrough Letizia needed. That's the breakthrough Guernsey needed. And that's the breakthrough that Mark Ladder to my
1: left once. A big smile on his face. And a wonderful shot there. Cover drive for four. Stokes already finding the boundary twice in this game. So if we could just delve a little bit deeper into the technical side of the game. What does your off season usually look like? Was it massively different to the in season work you were doing? Well, I think when
0: you're when you're an England cricket and now there is no off season really. You know, you're pretty much ten and a half, eleven months a year. You know, you're you're either away on tour or you're you're immersed in a um, in in a, in a home series. You probably the nice thing about being an international cricket or with England to domestically is, you know, you, there's a bit more space in between games, so your preparation period you know you can have 2 or 3 days practice going into a test match whereas you know playing a domestic game yes you might have 6 months off um, to work on your game and try and make improvements and you're really in an off season to so then you know there's no real preparation practice time in domestic cricket you go from game to game all the time uh, and from format to format whereas when you're you know with England you can really focus on one who am I playing against so you can really analyze the the attack you're facing make sure your practice really gives you every opportunity to go out and be successful. You know the surface you're going to, get to, um, you're going to be playing on. So I think um, it's not necessarily as much technical work, even though you've, you've got to be on that and make sure it's good, but you don't have the window of you know, a long time to do lots of technical work when you're an England player. You're in game mode all the time, so you're trying to stay as sharp as you can, but make sure you know if you're on a turning pitch, you know if you're on tour in India, you're working on what's going to be successful on that pitch, and how am I going to go about what shots are going to be of value to score runs today? So that's sort of what it's like as an England player. I said, you, you do get more time in between games, um, but you're more, like I said, in game mode, you know, 11 months of the year, you know, so it's, it's more about what you've got right in front of you than making wholesale ch- changes. Whereas the c- county cricketer really, you know, certainly finishing my career and go back to Warwickshire, you know, you have that opportunity because you have six months really to be able to go, okay, where do I need to work on? What do I need to do? And then by the season gets going, um, you don't have lots of training opportunity. It's just topping up, really, making sure, again, you're, you're clear in your plans of how you're going to go about it. But again, I suppose domestically, you might get the odd spinning pitch from time to time,
1: but most conditions are quite similar. So was that done against bowlers or is it more machine work? Or did you sort of vary between the two?
0: Uh, a mixture. With England, I mean, again, I was never, I never, I think as I got on, I never liked to do too much machine work in terms of when I was in, in season. Um, yes, I'd do a little bit of grooving maybe if I wanted to groove a shot. Um, but for me, I much more preferred facing bowlers. And obviously now with claw and stuff, your rhythm can feel a little bit more normal to what it's going to be like to a game. Um, if, if I felt like I need to groove something, then I'd get on a machine and, and hit one specific shot for a period of time. Um, but a lot of the time, again, I, I used to like, as with that group of players that I played with, whether it's Cookie... Um, Jonathan Trott, KP, we all like to hit a lot of balls. And I, to be honest with you, for me, it was about, yeah, facing as much bowling in the nets and bowlers that I could. And if I couldn't, then it would be more uh, claw work, you know, and going through some game scenario. Again, I think the hardest thing, it, it, it's trying to be specific in what you're doing. But I think for me, you know, you're trying to work on the mental side of your game as well um, in, in Test Match Cricket, international cricket, as much as you are the technique. Um, but also nearly rehearsing for me was my first 20 balls. You know the hardest part for any batter um, is facing your first 20 balls. That's when you're not in, you don't know the pace of the pitch, you don't quite know what the ball is doing. Um, and when you, g- you see a lot of good players, um, or the best ones that I play, as soon as they got past that first 20 balls, you know it's really hard to get them out. But any, any player, however good they are, is susceptible in their first 20 balls. So I do a lot of training in the nets about, okay, I'd have someone trying to get me out in those first 20 balls and rehearsing good habits for those first 20 balls. Then if I needed at the end of a net to practice my cut shot or my cover drive or an on-drive, then I'd I'd specifically practice those at the end. Again, trying to
1: rehearse getting through those first 20 balls. And in terms of your preparation before a test match, sort of from a week out to game day, how did that differ? Was it more hitting balls the further you went into the week or did you sort of taper off and get a bit lighter towards the back end? Yeah, probably
0: taper off a little bit. I think certainly going into a series, you know, generally the day or two before you know, they used to call it coach's day. So we'd probably get thrown a fair bit of stuff. There might be a bit of physical work, quite some hard, tough fielding sessions to get done as well. Get that in early. Um, and yeah, maybe thrown a few challenges as well from the coach. Um, but then the day before really is get what you need. I think when you're a, an international player, you know, you have to own your own game. You should never really be coach reliant on you know, or reliant on other people to make sure you're ready. So a lot of that was the trust to say right if you need it. But again, with the group that we were in, we you know um, the guys like to hit a lot of balls. But again, the bowlers might not bowl too much the day before. You know they'll do their their work on the batsmen and knowing that what they where they need to bowl and they'll work on that side. But they might do more heavier bowling two or three days before um, a test match. Um, and some batters were the same. Some batters would like to do a lot of volume three days before, and maybe the day before they wouldn't do anything. Um, and I think that's very individual. Um, and the older you get and the more experience, you start to figure out what works for you. Um, and it's important to do what's good for you, not to do what you think pleases other people. But, you know, you get in that routine. But yeah, there was, there was quite a big difference. But I would say in terms of energy and saving it the day before, yeah, it was get what you need. Um, but some guys, again, would be
1: very, very light. And then, yeah, actually on a match day, was it more net based or did you just have a few throwdowns, you know, just feeling bat on ball?
0: Yeah, again, if I could, I'd face bowlers. Again, with England, you're very lucky. You get everything at your disposal. You can face Mm -hmm. net bowlers, claw. So for me, it was always about... uh, I I always preferred to be... I felt that um, I'd always want to be try and be the first one in the nets because then I can control the timing that I had in there. Um, You know, if you're second, third, fourth, you're waiting for people to get out of the net. So Mm -hmm. I always felt that if I get there first, I'd like to do as much as I could uh, and actually get challenged. I didn't mind if I had a bad net. Sometimes I actually scored... Uh, my, bet, my best innings came off the back of a, a bad net at the end of this play. If I got naught or a hundred, if I did my preparation and consistently, so it was always trying to be the same. Um, I could sleep at night. You know, if, if I nicked off to a good delivery, I got oh by a Jaffa or a bad decision. Did I do my preparation in the morning? Yes, that's fine. You know, go for dinner, go to bed, and come back the next day. Um, if I hadn't done my preparation right and hadn't or cut corners or you know didn't do it to the level, I believe that's when things would eat me me, and I wouldn't sleep at night knowing that actually I cut a few corners that day. Um, So my preparation was important to me in terms of just actually giving me comfort, whether, because I don't think as a batsman, you can live on outcomes all the time. You can't just live on it because you're not going to score hundreds every day or fifties. You're going to have some bad days. So you can't rely on the outcome to how you act in the evenings or how you you go about your life. Um, For me, it was all about controlling preparation. How did I play? Being quite honest. How did I play? reviewing it whether I got 10 20 150 doesn't matter what did I do did I do it well yes right put the bat down go for dinner look yeah.
1: at the next day and have another go and then with regards to facing spin and seam did you differ any technical changes between the two I know Duncan Fletcher spoke quite a lot uh, before the 2005 Ashes actually how batters should be slightly lower in their stance to spin and slightly wider is this something that you adopted
0: Yeah, I was definitely wider in my stance uh, and a bit lower uh, to spin, just again, to keep my eyes as still as possible. And if the ball went above my eye line, then I'd definitely be coming down the wicket straight away. Something I found quite comfortable to do. Um, It's not always easy just to see the ball go up and go. Some people maybe premeditate, go a bit early, but I found quite comfortable doing that. And I've always was very lucky and blessed with obviously quite quick footwork. And something, again, looking back at Warwickshire, we did from a very early age about playing spin, getting right forward and right back. Um, so yeah, I mean, I enjoyed working with Duncan actually on, on playing spin. Um, and I do believe that is a when you watch most players and watch Joe Root recently, I think they all do something quite similar in terms of being a little bit wide, a bit lower, but really quick on their feet, getting right forward, um, and right back. But I think again, it's just the bit you know, I'm playing spin is understanding before even they bowl is what surface am I on sometimes you know, if you're in England and it's day one and it's not spinning as you can be a little bit more aggressive, a bit more proactive and put pressure back onto the bowler. All of a sudden, if you're playing at goal on, on a turning pitch, hitting straight back over the bowlers head actually might not be an option. So I have to go to my sweet shots or it's about rotating strikes. So I think for any pla anyone learning to play spin or trying to play and the better quality spin is what service am I on and what options do I have today? Cause they are, they are different every single day you play and, Sometimes from a day one pitch to a day five pitch, the options can be completely different, um, as we've seen in this test match just gone on. So reading the situation and the the conditions you're in is really important to playing spin. But if they're in your favour as a batsman, I was always believe that I need to put pressure back on. So I'd I'd want to have the paddle sweep to try and get a 45 behind me, hit over the top early, because if I can get mid on back in a four-day game, all of a sudden I can just milk a one and I can then go through. So there is a little, sometimes playing a bit of a calculated risk in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was what I felt worked for me, certainly in English conditions or in Australia um, or, you know, on a day one pitch where again, the, the spinners come on really not to take wickets, but maybe just to control the run rate of two and over. So being really aggressive at that point for me was a good thing um, because one, either gets the seamers back on or it just allows me to get some easier singles um, to be able to go on and just cruise and, and, and accumulate, as we saw Joe Root do incredibly well uh, in this last test match. Um, but then there's other days where you have, to, that, those, those options are out the window. You don't know how it's going to come out of the pitch. It's inconsistent. Um, so you have to go to your sweeps. And some days getting a, a hard for ugly 30 or 40 can be the equivalent of scoring 150 on yeah. a day one pitch. So understanding quite quickly what you're on is, is uh, important. And um, there's nothing harder than, starting against spinning the subcontinent for an English player growing up on green-seeming swinging conditions. So then starting on turning pitches with men round the bat is, is no doubt the hardest thing for any young English player to to come to. So if you can learn and practice as much as that as possible, it's, it's the, the
1: best thing you can do. Yeah, and then with regards to the mental side of the game, how did you sort of switch off between balls? Or were you one of those batsmen that as soon as you went out, as tu- your foot touched the ground, you know, you were on?
0: No, no, really important. I think... Um, you hear it a lot to be able to switch on and switch off, but it is, it's, it's something that you have to do. To score big runs, you have to be able to switch off, certainly at the non strikers end. Um, I had quite a clear one as I got older. I literally used to just undo my gloves at the non strikers end purely because for me, that was a bit of a sign to just switch off. Um, and then what it allowed me to do when I got back to the striking end was to put them, to, zip, to actually Velcro them back together because then that was my little sign to just switch back on, go back to my routine because batting is about routine. It's about re- repeating. So how you how you get into your stance, how you mark your guard, you know how you think in between balls, um, what you say to yourself. It is a repetition. It's and it's all different. What works for me to you to Cookie to Trotty, we might be getting to the same place, but your wording and how you do it can be very very different. So there's no right or wrong way of doing it. But I do believe again the best players watching Steve Smith and Coley and. I suppose Kane Williamson is probably a great example of what he does at the moment at the best. It's it's repetition, ball after ball after ball, switching on, switching off, um, which again, you can learn that. You can train yourself to do that in the nets, not just hit balls, but how you repeat facing the ball, how you take your time in between deliveries in a net. You you can train that. um, And not everyone does train that, but I think it's an important part to, to train when you're out in the middle, being able to get in your own little zone, your own little bubble. So it should be irrelevant what's going on around you.
1: Again, just sticking with the mental side of the game, how did you deal with failure? Was there a certain trait or something you did that got you through those difficult periods? Um, well, I think you stumble across
0: things as well along the way. I think one thing I look back on, I do, when you're young and people say, make notes of what you do when you're doing it well. And some people, when you're young, you sort of take that, for you sort of, now, okay, good one. But you look back, you think yeah, you should be learning. Obviously, you try and learn from your mistakes. And you probably, a lot of the time, there's nothing wrong with getting things you know, wrong or making mistakes, that's, that's okay. That happens in, in everything, not just cricket. It's how you learn from them and get forward. And I'm a big believer when you're playing international cricket, you're going to get knocked down. The ones that are going to stay around long enough, the ones that dust themselves off, get back up, they learn from it and they have another crack. You have to be able to do that with that mindset. Um, but again, you also have to learn from the good things you do. And it's sometimes you, as, as a team or as an individual, you sometimes neglect. And um, we're probably not very good. I don't think in England sometimes of actually praising people, talking about what you do when you do it well, because it seemed to be arrogant. Having been fortunate enough to play in the Aussie environment as well with Perth Scorchers, they are unbelievably well at talking themselves up and talking about the good things they do. I think it's in part of the Australian culture to do it that well. And they nearly neglect the negative stuff. They nearly can bravado the stuff that they don't do very well. But I do think generally in England, we're not great. And I haven't seen loads of teams that actually, like I said, because it seemed to be arrogant and you want to be seen as a nice guy. Actually talk up what you do well, but not just you, but your mates, your teammates, um, and actually have confidence and learn from the things you do well. Because sometimes we do look at the negative before we
1: look at the really good stuff we do. Now, with regards to fitness, obviously something you took quite a lot of care over. You sort of got through your entire career without having any real injuries until the back end of your career. Did you do a lot of strength work and a lot of cardiovascular work?
0: Uh, Yes. Yeah. I mean, towards the end when T20 started to take off, obviously, always I was the game started to evolve a little bit in different areas from test cricket. to. So you're always looking for a little bit more power, a little more, more strength work so that the game has changed and evolved. there's No doubt from when I first started at Warwickshire as well to when I finished the game, the, the fitness side of the game has changed dramatically. And the athletes that are in the game now is, is completely different. Um, and, and, you know, the things we see in the field are unbelievable. Um, But yeah, it's something you do. I mean, again, in that England environment, I think Andy Flower, who, again, was probably the best coach I worked under, certainly with England, but look back. I mean, he brought another edge to that England side. I think he felt coming from the Zimbabwe side that he played with, that maybe that uh, in terms of ability, they didn't match up with the big countries. But what they had was they were physically fitter, uh, mentally strong when it came down. So they really did punch above their weight and I think he looked at this England environment when he came in and went actually all the talent and the ability here is in abundance but maybe maybe within the group we're a bit soft maybe we could be fitter maybe so I think he he brought that in that's not to say that team wasn't fit but I think he took it to another level which again starts pushing people into and again that Germany camp mentally pushing people where they don't want to go which again is only going to help your mental strength um and we probably went to another level, I think, with that. And again, this England side are probably taking it again even even further. Um, but yeah, it's something you're always trying to be on. I mean, it ebbed and flowed. Um, there's no doubt that through the times in my career, Andy did, you know, um, you know, got a knock on the door to, get, to keep improving, keep challenging yourself physically. It wasn't something I would say I necessarily enjoyed. I enjoyed batting. I enjoyed playing cricket. I didn't necessarily really enjoy fitness. I think you sort of you learn that that's part of part of the jigsaw and you have to be good at it um you know I wasn't somebody that, like enjoyed going off on long long runs um I started to find a method which works for me um but yeah I, I, as you said as well I was quite lucky that I didn't have many injuries through my career until the back end uh, in the last year or two with Warwickshire uh, that probably caught up with me of 20 years of professional cricket but um yeah, I think, uh, it, but I would say I was, it's amazing where the game has come in the period of time. In the 22 years I was a professional, where the game
1: has come and gone is, is, is completely different. Then with regards to kit, were you a bit of a kit badger? Did you have a certain weight, a certain specific bat you liked, the way it played, the way it picked up? Or did you just sort of pick up a bat and just go with it as it was?
0: Um, no, I, I, yeah, I did. I mean, bats were really important. I was a little bit, I suppose... Um, kit manufacturing for me changed quite dramatically actually from growing up where you know i'd use a certain brand so all of a sudden the, the, the way the bats were made now or certainly through my career changed so a lot of them were coming out of india they were all pressed the same they were all the same all that was changing was the stickers so i was a bit probably through my career i had four different brands through my career so it didn't really bother me what what i used because to be honest with you everywhere i went the bats were exactly the same right. um so I, as long as the bats were the same i, I didn't I wasn't too fussed what stickers they were, um, you know, so whether that was the right or wrong thing, I don't know. But um, some people stayed with one all the way through um, their career. But, yeah, I, for me, I generally, I mean, yeah, I, I was somebody that, you know, I, I mean, my wife even now, she, when she used to come down and at the end of the season when families would come into the dressing room, she'd look at my kit and how neat it was and everything was in order and stuff and then sees me at home. Um, yeah, I, I got in a fair bit... Uh, in the doghouse for a fair bit of that. But I was somebody that, again, when in terms of kit and making sure it was um, immaculate um, and just in order, there's nothing worse for me than being disorganised, going into a day of a, a game or something like that. I need to know where everything was and how it was um, ready to go.
1: Yeah, and with regards to the actual bat, was there a certain weight you used or do you just go by pickup and the way it felt?
0: A bit of both. Uh, generally, again, I'd always ask for around 2'9", two 2'10". Two but again, a lot of that could be pickup because... Um, you can get some bits of wood that look huge, but they do pick up light. So, again, I'd always be around that two nine, two ten mark. But, again, the way the bats are made now, they, they do pick up so light. Um, and the only thing I probably would do, I mean, again, through my career, um, I'd never net with my number one bat at the time. Whichever bat I felt like I was was going well, well for me in the middle, I'd never take it in the nets purely because, again, with the way they're made these days, they don't last as long as maybe – um what they do they are bigger now than they used to be but that with them the way they dry the bats they don't last as long as maybe what bats were in the past so I'd never use my number one at the time in the nets and I'd always to be honest with you, a lot of my training through my career um I'd always bat a lot of the time in the nets with a thin bat as well so um like a half bat and I had that made um to the same weight again I asked it to be made at two nine, two ten. so again it had that feel of the same but again in the nets I'd always try and challenge myself with a thinner bat um, than what I would use in, in, in the middle, um, which, again, just gave me confidence, really, to go into a game fully prepared. Um, but, yeah, again, I mean, again, uh, I mean, again the, the, the way bats are made now is, is incredible. You know, you, the, the, rep- the, the, the amount of bats that can be very similar now uh, is just incredible to what they, maybe they were 20 years ago.
1: And then looking ahead to the future, you've obviously had a bit of a taste in coaching. You did some work with the England Lions and the England 19s a couple of winters ago. Actually, with ex-Guernsey coach Nick Pothis, how was that? And what does the future hold for you now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, from, firstly, I absolutely loved that opportunity and coached. And, and up until Christmas, we was, I was still doing the same thing with the Young Lions um, at Loughborough. So, yeah, I think but coaching is what I see myself and, and actually what I love doing, really. Um, and I think one thing I was quite adamant when I finished, I wanted to go into something that I had a real passion for. And uh, that opportunity, working with those guys, just gave me that realism that actually when that day does come, then then I'm going to go into something that I do, you know, thoroughly enjoy. Um, so for me now, it's just, I mean, again, with, with COVID and everything, it's made it a little bit harder, a few things on stall. So, you know, obviously I want to, you know, do as much of my co- coaching qualifications as I can when we get that opportunity to, to finalise and finish that all off and then and really get involved, get as much experience around the world in different formats and different places as I can to, to, to hopefully one day, again, wherever that will be, um, you know, So I sort of wanted to give myself a year or two of just trying to get as much experience and yeah. in different places as I can um, so that then you know, I can throw that all into when I do settle in, in, in a coaching role somewhere, um, hopefully more on the school base to start. But again, hopefully then going into assistant coach and, and head coach down the line of experience. Um, but I feel I, I don't want to rush it too much. But knowing that, again, this is um, a career that I think I'll enjoy and hopefully help a, a lot of people along the way.
1: Oh, it seems like a really exciting time with the new development as a coach. So, just to finish, a few quick-fire questions: Who's the quickest bowler you've ever faced?
0: Oh, difficult. There's, there's obviously been a number of them. I, I'd say that I always feel when people ask me that the quickest spell i ever faced appears was Shoaib Akhtar in Pakistan. There's a great video of him bowling Ashley Giles actually with both stumps flying out the ground. I think that was, even though I faced some quick spells, I'd probably always have to go back to spells against him. Uh, in that, I think it was 2006-7. I think was the,
1: was the quickest. And then who is the toughest bowler you've had to face? Might not necessarily be the quickest. Could be a Spinner, Murali, uh, Warn, et cetera.
0: Um, I, I think, again, yeah. I mean, uh, a couple of times, I think side Ajmal. Um, we, as a batting unit, we found him hard in the UAE, especially when DRS came in. All of a sudden, if it clipped pad, you were out. So that was a real... And then that changed playing spin for a while, uh, making sure you had bat, had to get right out in front of your pad. You couldn't use pat, bat, pad together. So that was really tough um, when the rules changed. But I'd say again, like with cricket in general, a lot of it is about partnerships, whether you're batting in a partnership. So I think early in my career, facing Warner McGrath together was the best partnership. Arguably, you know, we're lucky that we've witnessed and I've been lucky to play with it. Broad Anderson as a partnership is absolutely phenomenal. And wherever you go, whether it's Ambrose Walsh, you know, I think as a batter, you can get through. If someone's bowling a good spell, but the guy at the other end is leaking runs, it's easy. So I'd say that the hardest it ever was, or I felt, was Warner McGrath together was probably the best partnership I ever played against.
1: And then your favourite ground
0: in the world? Uh, oh, I, I think my top three, again, uh, uh, playing at Lords is just special. No, there's no place like it. Just uh, the whole, everything that goes with the Lords test match is just unbelievable. Uh, Cape Town, definitely, and the Adelaide Oval.
1: Your favourite memory within cricket? It can be top three as well if it's hard to pinpoint just one.
0: Oh, the best. Again, I think the, being in the SCG dressing room when we just won um, those Ashes was probably the best. If, uh, most of those guys there, if you could say, take me back to one place, I think that, that dressing room after the, you know, that, that feeling of what we did um, against that side, I think, yeah, it was, it was the best moment that, um, uh, or the best few hours you could ever have, I
1: suppose, um, playing cricket. And what about your favourite or best coach that you've worked with?
0: Or again, I'd say I've been very lucky, actually, to, to work with uh, so many great coaches. Wow. Um, you know, I'd probably, again, have to go Andy Flower in terms of he got the best out of me for England. Um, he was a tough man. But again, I had both sides to, to what he did. But again, I was lucky enough. I suppose, and, and I think you have to be lucky who you come up, come up with. Um, you know, Bob Warmer, all of the coaches I had sort of nearly played their part in my career. But probably then I'd have to go with Andy.
1: And then a tricky one, but your best mate within cricket?
0: Oh, uh, again, I've been lucky. Um oh, to narrow that down, I'll upset. Well, I say upset a few, but I wouldn't upset a few. But uh, again, like, I, I'm so in touch with so many of the guys that I played with. I think that was the beauty of, uh, I suppose, of cricket in general. You play with so many of your mates, and you meet a lot of good mates around the world. Um, and actually, a lot of those guys, you know, from Jimmy, Cookie, Matty Pryor, Kev. You know, we all went through the academy at probably a similar age or similar times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like maybe that's a cheap shot of an answer, but probably too many. You know, I'm very lucky to have a lot of good mates through, through it.
1: What about the best player that you've played with or against?
0: Uh, best player. I think I played against only ought to witness. I mean, again, very lucky to play against all the greats. I think Ricky Ponting for me, I would have to sit here and go, he played some of the best innings I've ever witnessed on a cricket field. Um, to play against sachin tendulkar is a in india is the most amazing thing to witness um and the atmosphere changes in a ground to see a person do that is just unbelievable um but ponting probably played the best knocks i've ever seen on a cricket field and then again difficult one to say played with i'd have to go again to witness some of the things i've seen kp did things that again a lot of people can't do um you know and to witness witness them and be a part of them. Yeah, we're incredible.
1: And then finally, what's the best bit of advice that you've ever been given and what bit of advice would you give to a young, up-and-coming, aspiring player? Yeah, I think,
0: I look back, I think sometimes you, certainly as an international player and maybe even just in general, you worry about a lot of things that are out of your control. And it's not until you're retired and on the other side of it that you actually, you you realise you waste a lot of time and a lot of energy on. Certainly as an England batter, you worry about pleasing too many people and you actually when you retire, you realise you wasted a lot of energy. Um, So that would be my advice, not to worry too much about a lot of other things that go on around it. Um, Just care about the people around you, really, your teammates, family, friends, all that stuff around you and anyone else that shouldn't really matter. I think my advice, again, would be something similar to that as well. Um, You know, enjoying every single day, I think, um, you know, trying to stay as level as possible. Uh, Certainly talking from a batting point of view, And young batters, you know, you're going to go through highs and lows. You're going to go in and out of form. Can't judge yourselves on low scores and high scores. You try and stay as level as you can when you get the big hundreds. And then if you get naught, again, it's not the end of the world. So you try and stay in that middle ground. And I I think for me, again, I I watched and tried to learn. Andrew Strauss was the best I ever saw at that. Again, sort of at the end of a day's play, when you go down to the the bar or you go down to the restaurant or whatever you do in the evenings to, you know, you're going uh, to get away from the game. Um, you can never quite tell whether he got 0 or 100 and I just think that's such a great place to be in, in, in the cricket world because again we live in a lot of outcomes and a lot of the stuff you can't control so I think staying as level
1: um, not getting carried away or not getting too down is, is the best place you can be no, Thank you very much for coming on to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast we really appreciate your time it's been a great insightful podcast so thanks once again No problem Ben thanks mate Thank you for listening to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast remember to hit the subscribe button and keep listening